0: Get out of here! Get out! 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 Get out!
1: I want to welcome all our international broadcast listeners to American Democracy
2: 2016. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair.
1: And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to left me me to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you stuck from Pacifica radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in la up in Oregon on 91.7 FM kyaq on the Central Coast 106.7 FM queso in cozy Cottage Grove Out in Pennsylvania on 93FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and streaming around the globe on the Progressive Voices channel on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee and other fine affiliates including Radio Sputnik, five days a week I am Brad Friedman your friendly investigative blogger, journalist troublemaker, muckraker and all around swell fellow says me from Bradblog.com thank you for joining us for another thrilling action packed adventure that we call the Bradcast, coming up Election results. Yes, there were elections over the weekend, a few of them, small ones, uh, some caucuses and whatnot. We will have those election results from over the weekend and also our yearly reminder. Try to remember to do this once a year. Our yearly reminder Of the one thing, the one thing that Republicans did, and there was only one, there was one thing that Republicans did during the George W. Bush administration that I am truly grateful for. Without irony or snark, I mean it. And we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. Uh, And we've got a whole lot more that, uh, frankly, a lot of stuff that we couldn't get to last week as we covered... What was it, Desi Doyen? Three debates in a week. Yes, three uh,
2: debates in one week. Can I just remind you of that? Three debates three in debates one week
1: in one week and an election day. Don't forget that a big one. Uh, and uh, and of course, there was another town hall over the weekend. We'll try to get to all of that and much more that we need to cover here on the broadcast. That uh, some a few items that may have gotten lost last week that I want to get to. But first, uh, breaking news today: Donald Trump has. Yeah, canceled another uh, event with uh, Sarah Palin. This one down in Florida. The uh, Trump campaign. It's, it's not what happened on Chicago. In Chicago, we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, former Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin canceled uh, the event. It may just have been her down there for uh, for Donald Trump on Monday after her husband was involved in a snow machine accident in Alaska. Oh. Uh, this is according to the Trump campaign who you can believe or not, (laughs) Uh, the uh, former Alaska governor uh, who has endorsed Trump uh, was scheduled to speak for Trump in the villages down in Florida, where they will be uh, heading to the polls on Tuesday. They've cast a lot of those votes, by the way, already in Florida. A lot of early voting, a lot of absentee voting. Trump campaign statement said that Todd Palin was in a bad snow machine accident on uh, Sunday night. He is currently hospitalized. Governor Palin is returning to Alaska to be with her husband and looks forward to being back on the campaign trail soon. Trump's uh, Mr. Trump's thoughts and prayers are with the Palin family at this time, according to the uh, statement issued by the Trump campaign. But that was uh, earlier today. And guess what? Sarah Palin actually ended up taking the stage in Florida. Uh, and uh, Fox News was was shocked. They suddenly cut to this live event uh, in in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Gretchen Carlson was uh, amazed at what was going on because they all thought, and this had gone out uh, from the campaign, went out to all of the the news wires and everything, that the uh, that the event had been canceled. But what do you know? You still can't trust. Anything the Donald Trump campaign says. She actually uh, cited the uh, uh, the accident. Uh, she said that my husband was out snow machining, sh- machining. He had a little wreck on a snow machine. Uh, and then she said uh, a big wreck. And then she went on with some long rambling speech that I have not gotten to hear the whole thing because it's just before <laughs> airtime. Right. So uh, uh, an event canceled, but then not canceled. Who is running communications, if anybody, for the Trump campaign, and why can't they seem to tell the truth about anything? Uh, that was—I didn't give you a proper greeting, by the way, Desi Doyen. That's Desi Doyen, our producer. Yes, hello, you? I am All here. Right, you am. I am. Uh, but uh, so that one went on ahead. The one that didn't go ahead was the one that happened in Chicago just moments after we went off the air on Friday. And uh, at that time, just minutes later, frankly, violence erupted right after they announced that that event would be canceled with thousands of people inside this stadium at, uh, I believe, the University of Chicago. Violence erupted. At this at this place that uh, it had been announced, uh, canceled just moments before people started swinging, people started cheering, people who were protesters who were there. They claimed the Trump campaign did. And again, remember, you cannot believe anything they say because they are pathological liars. They just are. Uh, Supposedly it was canceled out of security concerns That uh, the Trump campaign had met with law enforcement and uh, they had advised they shut it down. But the Chicago police put out a statement shortly after the announcement as the protest, as the, you know, the the violence was uh, beginning to rage inside the stadium. That, in fact, uh, the Chicago police said that they had not met with Donald Trump uh, or members of his team, that they had not uh, suggested any such action. So there was pandemonium in the state in the stadium. Uh, and outside of it, an older white lady, a Trump supporter in a Trump T-shirt, was photographed by the Chicago Tribune giving a Nazi salute. Did you see that photograph, Desiree?
2: I did. It was really bizarre. It
1: was really bizarre. That Well, that photo went quite quickly went viral. But by the next day, despite the fact that you've got a woman with a Trump T-shirt uh, giving her uh, a, a Nazi salute, the next day, Donald Trump Jr., He has a son. He's got a junior uh, who has been out campaigning for him. He went out and tweeted that photo from the Chicago Tribune next to another one of an older woman who had a similar look, who is supposedly a Sanders supporter with Women for Sanders. And uh, Donald Trump Jr. added when he retweeted, he added the text, Big surprise that it turns out she's, you know, this Nazi is actually a false flag attack. It's actually... A Bernie Sanders supporter. Big surprise. However, the media will never run with this. Now, Donald Trump Jr.'s tweet included that side by side photo of the Nazi salute woman next to the woman who runs Women for Sanders in Chicago. But as it turns out, they are not the same woman. The Nazi saluter was identified in the original photo by name and the Sanders for uh, Women lady had a totally different name. And she had to quickly issue a statement saying that she wasn't even in town that night. She wasn't even in Chicago. And she noted her husband is an attorney and a good one. Oh, good. Yeah. So I suspect she's got a very good case for, de- for a defamation suit there against Donald Trump. Junior. Junior, who left his tweet up for hours, citing those uh, side-by-side photos, which were posted online in the first place by a, a nationalist a white supremacist guy an account on uh, on Twitter by the name of Vox Day and it was left up for hours. So, they tar this uh, Bernie Sanders uh, supporter who had nothing whatsoever to do with it as a Nazi. That was in Chicago. Well, uh, on that uh, next day on Saturday, uh, following the chaos in Chicago the night before, during a Trump rally in Dayton, Ohio, a man jumps a barrier to try and approach the stage where Donald Trump was speaking, resulting in Donald Trump's Secret Service detail, taking the man down, uh, understandably, and uh, leaping onto the stage to protect a visibly shaken Donald Trump. Now, the man, the protester, was a, a white A white guy uh, from Wright University. He's apparently an activist from Georgia. His name is Thomas Dimissimo. He was charged with disorderly conduct and inducing panic. According to the Montgomery County jail records, he was subsequently released on bail. Okay. Then... The real Donald Trump, apparently not the son, but the real Donald Trump takes to uh, takes to Twitter himself and says the U.S. Secret Service did an excellent job stopping the maniac running to the stage. He has ties to ISIS, should be in jail, says Donald Trump in this tweet. And he includes a video of a, uh, a, a, a pro to flag protest, U.S. flag protest that was shown with no sound there to show the protest. Uh, underneath Islamic or Arabic music with an ISIS flag at the beginning. The flag they're walking on is a U.S. flag in this protest. Um, but so this ISIS flag, this was all added to it. Turns out the video was a hoax. And uh, that one of the activist uh, 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 political opponents had tried to create a smear against him, this uh, Dimasimo. Demis- Tried to create a smear against him a year ago with this video. Donald Trump puts it out and says he is tied to ISIS. So one of them, uh, you know, claims to be uh, you know, a Nazi uh, supporter is actually a uh, Sanders. This other protester. Is tied to ISIS? Uh, And uh, he tried to defend uh, Trump, tried to defend tying an American protester to the Islamic State on Sunday when he was on the meet the press on meet the press, saying that his his claim was supported by that Internet video. Then when meet the press uh, host Chuck Todd noted to Trump that the video was a hoax, Donald Trump says supposedly
0: there was chatter about isis now i don't know what do i know about it all i know is what's on the
1: internet all i know is what's on the internet well what's on the internet donald trump is what you put on the internet you didn't post the video but you you, you linked to the video you share the video with all of your millions of supporters claiming that uh, making and making the claim that this guy is tied to isis no he is not tied to isis he's an american protester Period. End of story. Now, in North Carolina, you may remember this guy because this video has played a lot. At least part of it has played a lot. John McGraw, 78 years old, a supporter of Donald Trump. He was arrested and charged last week with assault and battery and disorderly conduct after he punched a protester in the face at a rally in North Carolina as the protester was being escorted out of the building. You've probably seen the video. Uh, You may have seen the the sucker punch to the head of this uh, African-American protester who was being escorted out. Uh, That was shown, uh, is still being shown on an endless loop. But what is not being shown on an endless loop is what this guy, John McGraw, actually said on camera, on video, right after he sucker punched this guy. Did you like the event? You bet I liked it. Yeah? What'd you like about it? Knocking hell
0: out of that big mouth. (laughs) We don't know who he is, but we know he's not acting like an American. So he deserved it? Every bit of it. What was
1: that? Yes, he deserved it. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him. Yes, he deserved it. He deserved that sucker punch. Thankfully, this guy has been arrested and charged, but of course, when he was asked about this on Meet the Press on Sunday, Donald Trump, who has been promising, saying, telling uh, people at, uh, at these rallies that he will pay for their legal fees, don't worry about it, take these protesters out, uh, Donald Trump was asked about that, asked about paying for the legal fees again on Sunday uh, on, uh, on Meet the Press. Do you plan on paying for the legal fees of this older gentleman in North Carolina who sucker punched the protester?
0: Well, I'm not aware. I will say this. I do want to see what that young man was doing because he was very taunting. He was very loud, very disruptive. And from what I understand, he was sick, sticking a certain finger up in the air. And, and, and that is a uh, terrible thing to do and in that- front of somebody that frankly wants to see america made great again and so we'll see i'm going to take a look at it and that but i want to see what that man I, was doing and that condones a sucker punch though no as i told you before nothing condones but i want to see the man got carried away right. he's 78 years old he obviously loves this country obviously. and maybe he doesn't like seeing what's happening to the country i want to see the full tape so you but i don't pay condone for his legal I don't. Well, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to see, you know, what was behind this.
1: So it's possible you could help him with legal fees if this man needs it. I've actually instructed my people to look
0: into it. Yes.
1: Yes, he actually has. And this, despite the video of of Jim McGraw saying next time we might have to kill him, that has been available on uh, Donald Trump's beloved Internet for at least a week. Next time we might have to kill. Well, he put a the guy put a may have put a finger up in the air. Well, that then punch him in the face. Just uh, just amazing, uh, just incredible, and thus of course he is sending the message once again that hey, if folks beat the crap out of protesters, uh. We'll take care of him. Uh, you know, no worries. And yet, Donald Trump still denies somehow that he's uh, inciting violence at his rallies. I certainly
0: don't incite violence, and I certainly would. I don't condone violence, and uh, I don't talk about violence. Get him out of here. Throw them out. If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks like to punch him in the face. Other than that,
1: no inciting violence at all by Donald Trump. Trump said that the reason that he has protesters at his rallies when uh, that are getting violent That uh, he has these incidents at his rallies when other candidates do not is that this is only because his fans are respectful enough, his supporters, they don't go and try to interrupt uh, a rival's uh, rallies. That's why there's no violence at the other one. Has nothing to do with, with him or anything that he says, anything that he believes, anything that he does. Okay, fine. Then what explains this today? A Muslim student at Wichita State University alleges that a man who claimed to support Donald Trump attacked him and a Latino friend in a gas station parking lot Saturday night. This is according to the Wichita Eagle. Kondokar Usama, the student body vice president at the university, recounted his version of events to the newspaper. He said that he and his friend, uh, who who has uh, for now chosen to remain anonymous, this is the, uh, I believe, a Latino friend, they stopped at a quick shop a convenience store near the Wichita State campus to refill their car. A young man who Osama said was harassing a black customer at the store then turned his attention to him, to the Muslim student and Latino. Began uh, hurling racial epithets at them. Suddenly it turned on to us, he said, calling us brown trash. Go home. Trump will win, he added. This is my country. Who are you to tell me that? Usama o- said in response. And then the exchange escalated. The man allegedly tackled Usama's friend to the ground. Usama said that he, too, was pushed when he tried to intervene. He kept kicking the student who was laying on the ground, according to the uh, Wichita Eagle. He was kicking him. It was a gut-wrenching scene. He saw that I was calling the police and got back on his motorcycle, circled around us, and was saying, Trump, 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 we will make America great again. You losers will be thrown out of the wall. Huh. Wonder where we got that. I guess that was because uh maybe who knows democrats had the temerity to send their supporters to a convenience uh, station to to get gasoline is that why they brought it on themselves it's 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 amazing so after he decided to uh, uh this comes after he decided to shut down his own rally in Chicago on Friday night and probably to lie about the reasons why he did it He then went on uh, right after that to complain that his First Amendment rights were being assaulted by these protesters. He did this, of course, during appearances on Fox News, on CNN, on MSNBC. I wish someone would assault my First Amendment rights so much that I could go on every single TV news network in the world to pretend to have lost them. And mind you, this guy who's out there now on every single uh, TV network complaining that His First Amendment rights have been somehow taken away. Uh, This is the same guy who had promised uh, to change the laws, the First Amendment laws, the First First Amendment to the Constitution, in order uh, which protects freedom of speech. Yes. And freedom of the press he wanted to change that First Amendment to keep journalists from uh, their, having their First Amendment right to free speech not long ago. This was, what, just uh, the thing about two weeks ago. So I'm going to open up
0: our libel laws so when they write purposely negative and horrible and false articles, we can sue them and win lots of money. We're going to open up those libel laws so that when the New York Times writes a hit piece, which is a total disgrace, or when the Washington Post, which is there for other reasons, writes a hit piece, we can sue them and win money instead of having no chance of winning because they're totally protected.
1: Yeah, well, we, would, we wouldn't want the press to be totally protected. This guy, in, in addition to he doesn't appear to understand how the First Amendment actually works. Yes, Donald Trump has the right to free speech at a rally and the protesters also have the right to free speech at that same rally. So apparently he doesn't know how the First Amendment works or he doesn't care to know how it works, uh, you know, or he, he doesn't care to let his dumb supporters know because then they couldn't play uh, all play the victims here. Bernie Sanders was asked about all of this uh, at the town hall on uh, on CNN on Sunday night.
3: Donald Trump has been on the stump, blaming your supporters for some of it. Take a listen.
0: Look, it's a Bernie person. It's a Bernie, hello Bernie. Hey Bernie, get your people in line, Bernie. Can you imagine Bernie saying that Trump should get his people under control and they put in these people? And by the way, our crowds are so much bigger than Bernie's you wouldn't believe it.
3: Your response, Senator? I hesitate to say this because I really don't like to disparage public officials, but Donald Trump is a pathological liar. We have never, our campaign does not believe and never will encourage anybody to disrupt anything. We have millions of supporters. People do what they do. People have the right to protest. I happen not to believe that people should disrupt anybody's meetings. But let me say something about Mr. Trump. Some of you may have read just a few hours ago that Mr. Trump said that he is prepared to pay the legal costs of an individual who sucker punched somebody at a recent event. He's gonna pay the legal fees of somebody who committed a terrible act of violence. What that means is that Donald Trump is literally inciting violence with his supporters. He is saying, if you go out and beat somebody up, that's okay, I'll pay the legal fees. That is an outrage, and I would hope that Mr. Trump tones it down big time and tells his supporters that violence is not acceptable in the American political process. Senator Sanders.
1: Yeah, well, keep hoping, Bernie. Hillary Clinton was also asked about uh, Donald Trump and the uh, violence at his uh, rallies. She called him a political arsonist, suggesting that he has now lit this fire and it cannot be turned out. So Trump lied about the reasons for shutting down a Chicago event. His son lied about a a, a Trump supporter Nazi sympathizer seen at a Trump event and tarred a Bernie Sanders supporter for it, even though she wasn't in Chicago that night. Donald Trump lied about a protester at his event in Dayton, Ohio, the next day, tarring an American activist as a member of ISIS and then and then said he would consider paying the legal fees of a guy who sucker punched a protester and then uh, threatened that the next time he might have to kill him. That is your Republican frontrunner for president of the United States in 2016. And don't forget, this is not just a a one-off. Trump Trump is not just some rogue Republican outlier. He is the frontrunner, but in addition to receiving more Republican votes than any other candidate... Don't forget that before the debate on Thursday night, the GOP, this was just days ago, Chairman Reince Priebus gave a uh, the Republican chairman Reince Priebus gave a, a pep talk. It was seen on CNN declaring that all four candidates, including Donald Trump, would be better for this country in the White House than either of the two Democratic candidates. This Republican Party, they pretend uh, to be concerned, but they are all in and so are all of the other Republican candidates remaining in the race because they all pledged, all Cruz, Rubio and Kasich, to support Donald Trump if he became the party's nominee. This was just days ago. Really? Yes, really. Some offering uh, excuses for him and, and the violence by claiming, well, people are angry. People are angry. So no wonder. No wonder they need to blame a protester for their anger. They're angry at Washington, D.C. So punch a black guy in the face at the uh, at the next uh, Donald Trump rally. That'll that'll show them that'll make up for the failures of the U.S. government. Punching a fellow citizen in the face. Or they were blaming. Uh, they were claiming that it, it's oh, it's the police. They're the real victims here. It's uh, not not protesters that are punched in the face, or even unarmed people who are shot and killed by police. We need to defend the police. Of course, that has nothing at all to do with uh, the protests at the Trump rallies. But that's how they responded to this. Matthew Iglesias, a progressive journalist at Vox, uh, he's been playing the uh, contrarian by uh, somewhat uh, by supporting Donald Trump on the Republican side, arguing that, uh, uh, as he describes today, he thought Trump was a step away from the cliff of endless polarization that offered a more moderate, substantive agenda, more so than Marco Rubio's, even uh, uh, Iglesias had to give up that ghost following the incitement of violence by Donald Trump uh, over the weekend and and on Meet the Press, promising to pay the legal fees of that guy. Iglesias wrote, The implications of this for what President Trump might do in the White House are terrifying and go well beyond any dispute over public policy. The framers of the Constitution, he said, rather sharply circumscribed the president's authority to make and repeal legislation making it in many ways, in many respects, a weaker office than the prime ministerships of of more majoritarian countries. But the president and his appointees have enormous discretion over the enforcement of existing laws. Putting a leader, he said, who who would condone violence against the supporters of his political opponents in charge of the federal law enforcement apparatus is frightening. Giving him the power to unilaterally issue pardons is terrifying, Iglesias notes. He adds, there have been clear signs all year that this was the direction uh, the Trump phenomenon was heading, but I assumed that as he got closer to the Republican nomination, Trump would tone down his extreme behavior in order to demonstrate his acceptability to mainstream voters. In fact, he has done the opposite It's a surprising decision that has truly scary implications for how he might behave were he to actually win the presidency, says Matthew Iglesias over at Fox. Donald Trump is not just dangerous. He is not just a pathological liar, as Bernie Sanders described him. He is becoming a very, very dangerous man. As uh, thespians uh, who are familiar, uh, Desi, you'll you'll recall this famous quote from a Russian playwright, Anton Chekhov. Yes. Remember this? And Chekhov may or may not have said this. We don't know. But he's off-quoted saying this anyway about playwriting. He said, if a gun is on the mantle in the first act, it must go off by the third. Yep. That's just the way playwriting goes. Well, uh, Tim Dickinson, after seeing all of this over the weekend... This violence raging now in our political system. Uh, Tim Dickinson uh, from Rolling Stone said that I feel like this is the first act of a checkoff play and we've already seen the gun.
2: That's ominous.
1: I hope he means that metaphorically uh, at this point. Uh, well, buckle up. This could get ugly. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. More on actual elections and voting and stuff after this break. I'm Brad. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblogcom donate today. And thanks. It
2: was a beautiful-
1: It is. It is a beautiful day. Never mind that first segment. It is beautiful out there. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It's beautiful out here in Los Angeles in any event. I I suspect it's uh, beautiful across much of the country because today, today is the day that we celebrate, that I celebrate the one good thing, and I mean it, one good thing, that the Republican Party did for the entire eight years of the George W. Bush administration. And it was a terrible eight years, a terrible eight years. And I don't say that. And I really I actually don't say this in a partisan way. If there was something that I could find that I thought was good policy by the Republican Party uh, during those Bush years, I, I would say it. But I can really only come up with one thing that is undeniably good without snark, without irony, and that is the fact, uh, frankly that they uh, extended daylight savings time so that we get a couple of extra weeks at the beginning and a couple of extra weeks at the end. I, bona fide, no irony, no snark intended. That's it? I, I am grateful to the Republicans for having done that during the George W. Bush administration. Well, yes, credit that where is credit it. is due, That right? is it. <laughs> now, there was there was actually one, and I'm, I'm so thankful, because I love daylight savings. I've seen people who say they don't like it. They what, uh, I don't know how you could not like more daylight in the day. Uh, that said, uh, and the long summer night, no, it means summer's here. It, it, summer's here. Uh, there was actually one other thing that the, Repu- the Republicans under Bush actually did two good things, uh, but apparently they didn't mean the second one. The uh, Republicans spent a lot of time during the Bush in 2006, uh, during the Bush administration looking at the Voting Rights Act and whether it should be reauthorized for another 25 years. And guess what? They decided it should be. After collecting thousands of pages of of evidence, uh, dozens and dozens of hours of hearings, the Republicans who ran Congress at the time decided, and I believe it was uh, 99 to 0 in the U.S. Senate, it was close to that in the U.S. House, they decided to reauthorize the beloved landmark Voting Rights Act for another 25 years. But apparently they didn't mean it, did they? So I can't give them credit. I can so it's half credit, I guess, for having reauthorized. George W. Bush signed it. He signed it outside on a a big ceremony outside the White House. But apparently they didn't mean it because just a few short years later in 2013, the Supreme Court came around, absolutely gutted the most crucial part of that law, said Congress needs to fix this, and now you can't find a Republican. Short of Jim Sensenbrenner, the one who oversaw the reauthorization back in 2006, short of him, you can't find a Republican in either House of Congress who is willing to fight for reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act. Not before 2016, not when they can use it in dozens of states to disenfranchise voters, Democratic-leaning voters. More on that in a moment, but we've got uh, weekend election results. Yes, there were some results, uh, some elections over the weekend, even as everybody has their eyes on uh, on Tuesday's huge, super-duper Tuesday races in Ohio and Illinois and Missouri and North Carolina and Florida, which could be make or break on both the Republican and the Democratic side, depending on how these uh, how this shakes out. But uh, over the weekend, uh, there were a couple of uh, small elections, uh, mostly on the Republican side here. And interestingly, they uh, they did not go to Donald Trump. Has all of this noise and this uh, Sturm und Drang, and I use that uh, phrase both advisedly and on purpose, has all of this uh, made a difference on the Republican side? Will we see this uh, on Tuesday night? Well, we over the weekend, Ted Cruz won, and he won big in Wyoming. Uh, I think that was a caucus that held out there. Uh, He won uh, huge, 63%, 66% of the vote. The second place was Marco Rubio, way down at 19%. So Ted Cruz just absolutely destroyed it in Wyoming over the weekend. 66% uh, to 19% for Marco Rubio, and Donald Trump was down in single digits. 7% in Wyoming, Dick Cheney country. Marco Rubio, for his uh, part, won the other Republican uh, nominating contest over the weekend. This was the uh, Washington, D.C. caucus, which apparently is so small in Washington, D.C. that they only set up one caucus site for Republicans. So there was uh, huge lines to get in. The results, uh, Marco Rubio won. He won just barely. He got 37.3% of the vote. Uh, he won just barely, but it wasn't just barely over Donald Trump. Donald Trump came in third place. It was John Kasich, who? Yes, John Kasich, who apparently came in uh, second place in the Washington, D.C. caucus with uh, 35.5%. Donald Trump was way down at 13%. Ted Cruz was uh, just behind him at 12 And uh, on the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton on Saturday, she won the party's caucus in the northern Mariana Islands. Who knew? The U.S. territory in the uh, in the Pacific Ocean. It's way, way out near Guam. Clinton received apparently 54 percent of the vote. So even that was close between her and Bernie Sanders. She got 54 percent of the vote, uh, but it was only one hundred and nine, one hundred and eighty nine votes that were cast. That ended up uh, resulting in uh, she won four of the six delegates at stake. Bernie Sanders won two. So she still has a, uh, a, a sizable uh, but not insurmountable lead in the real delegate count on the Democratic Party side. She's up by about 200 delegates at this point prior to these huge primaries. And the results that we'll get uh, maybe Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday, we'll see, uh, out of Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, and Florida. Right now, Bernie Sanders supporters believe they can win uh, in Missouri my old home state and in illinois which they say is a lot like michigan where they had that big upset the other day uh and in ohio they think they might even be able to win in ohio the sanders folks do so it will be very very interesting to watch that and to watch how uh donald trump supporters uh react now that we've seen all of this violence at his rallies um So we obviously will be watching that in the days ahead. In the meantime, I had mentioned the Voting Rights Act, and we had some pretty big news that happened last week while we were covering all of the debates. Some pretty big news out of Texas, where some 600,000 already registered voters, legally registered voters, voters who have already even shown their ID when they went to register to become voters, 600,000 registered voters in Texas are now at risk due to, uh, well, what the, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court down there in Texas has now agreed to do. The photo ID restriction law was passed in Texas in 2011, initially, and it was, uh, well, the Voting Rights Act was still fully in place, which meant that they had to get preclearance from either the Department of Justice or from uh, uh, the uh, the District Court in Washington D.C. to uh, to implement this law, the state, as it was before the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, the state had to demonstrate that, in fact, this law would not disproportionately disenfranchise minority voters, and they could not do that, as it turned out. Yes, it would disproportionately affect. Minority voters in the state of Texas uh, by huge margins, particularly Latino voters, many of whom would uh, have to drive in some rural areas to get one of these so-called free driver uh, free uh, voter IDs. They'd have to drive hundreds of miles. Uh, And so that law was rejected in the state of Texas until the Supreme Court overturned. Gutted that section of the Voting Rights Act that would have a required pre-clearance from the federal government, which uh, Texas uh, took just minutes—I think within hours—of the Supreme Court decision. They said, "Yeah, well, you know that uh, that law that we had backbench,ed that we were ordered to, uh, that we could not use, that it was in violation of federal law. Well, we're going to use it now because the portion of the Voting Rights Act that would have stopped us." Uh, is no longer in effect. So they put it in place. And, of course, uh, voting rights advocates sued immediately. It took some time, but a, a federal court found that, yes, in fact... As had been uh, <laughs> clear initially when they passed the law, that in fact, yes, this law will disproportionately disenfranchise minority voters. It amounts to a poll tax. It was done on purpose to keep these minority voters from being able to cast their vote. It was unconstitutional. All of the above. This happened. It took a long time. They looked at all of the facts, and this is what the uh, the circuit court, the federal circuit court judge, came back with and decided. And then that was appealed naturally by the state of Texas. It went to the appellate court. It went to a, a three-judge panel on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that panel, while striking down a few items in the uh, in the lower court's uh, ruling, said that yes, this thing is illegal. It is a violation of the law. This uh, this law cannot move forward. However, we will allow it to remain in place. We will stay. Uh, Our ruling until the state of Texas has a chance to appeal, to appeal on up the chain to the presumably to the Supreme Court, to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, funny thing happened on the U.S. Supreme Court. Antonin Scalia died. And of course, that means if they took this ruling, which had found the law to be illegal in Texas in the federal court, if they took that ruling up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ended up splitting four to four on it. Well, then the lower court, the lower uh, appellate court ruling would stand and this law would be barred and they would not be able to use it in 2016. Now, the state of Texas had actually appealed to the Fifth Circuit last summer, months, six months ago, and said they would like to to have an on-bank ruling, meaning the entire circuit, the entire Fifth Circuit, uh, all the judges, rather than just a three-judge panel, that they'd like to hear it. And it's a very, very conservative court. It's the most conservative in the country, uh, with 10 of the 15 uh, judges sitting on that, uh, on that appeals court having been appointed by Republicans. And yet the, uh, the appeals court on bank didn't touch it for all of these months. Didn't say yes, didn't say no, which would left it open for Texas to go to the U.S. Supreme Court if they wanted to. And then all of a sudden, last week, for some reason, the U.S. Fifth Circuit decided, okay, yeah, we'll hear this case. All of a sudden, just days after Antonin Scalia died, voting rights activists are quite concerned about what may happen in the state of Texas to this law that these, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals will uh, may be likely to, uh, to overturn the lower court and will allow this to stay in place. And remember, 600,000 Texas voters do not have the type of ID now required by the state of Texas to cast a vote there. More than a million other voters, eligible voters who are not registered, are estimated to not have the uh, the photo ID card that they will need to, uh, to vote in the state of Texas in this presidential election. So that's a serious concern down in Texas. That is potentially very bad news for those of us who give a damn about voting rights. Uh, a little bit uh, better news. Up in the Buckeye State, and this in advance of Tuesday's uh, primary, the uh, Republican Secretary of State there, John Husted, had issued uh, a new interpretation of existing law not long ago, saying that 17-year-olds who would be 18 by the time the general election came around, 17-year-olds could not participate in the primary election. Now, Ohio is one of those states that has what's called a threshold law that allows you, if you're going to vote, if you're going to be 18 in time for the presidential election in November, then you can have a, a part in deciding who is actually nominated for that election. And that's been the way, apparently, that it has been run for quite some time. Uh, under the previous uh, Democratic uh, Secretary of State, Jennifer Brunner, under the even under the Republican Secretary before her, J. Kenneth Blackwell, who oversaw the disastrous election in Ohio in 2004, they both apparently allowed 17-year-olds to vote, but John Huston came in and said, "No, no, no! 17-year-olds can't vote. Well, they can vote on certain things that are on the ballot in the primary, like uh, you know any ballot initiatives, um, but they can't vote on actual uh, on in the presidential race because." They're not actually voting for the nominee. They're actually participating in an actual election. They are electing delegates. Therefore, they can't vote. Well, the Sanders campaign sued uh, in federal court. Voting rights activists sued in state court. And uh, late last week, we got the uh, ruling back from the judge saying that, yes, of course, yes, uh, Democrats can, uh, uh, 17-year-olds, I should say, can vote. That has got to be very good news for Bernie Sanders. 17-year-olds, at least 17-year-olds who will be uh, eligible to vote, who will be 18 years of age this November 6th or 8th or whenever the hell this election is this year. Uh, so that could be some very, very good news for, uh, for Bernie Sanders uh, in Ohio, if the word gets out. And uh, also, you know, I have uh, defended uh, Republican uh, Secretary of State of Ohio John Husted at various points because he actually kept the state of Ohio from implementing a photo ID voting restriction. Uh, So good for him for doing that. I sang his uh, praises for doing that. But ever since then, he seems to have taken a hard turn to the right and uh, his attempt to keep young voters from being able to cast their vote and claiming, by the way, that uh, previous secretaries of state had the same policy. uh, He appears to be wrong. I tried to get confirmation from Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Jennifer Brunner, who is now a judge in Ohio. I wasn't able to get that confirmed back whether she allowed 17 year olds to vote or not. But the court ended up doing it uh, for us, at least the state court, which I think makes the, uh, the Bernie Sanders challenge in federal court now moot. But um, they will be allowed to vote. Husted has said he will not uh, uh, appeal that law. He says it all comes too close before the election on Tuesday. However, he decried the activist judges who decided against him. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh, okay, we got to get to a, uh, a a quick break here. Do I have time, Des, for one more story? If you do uh, this it one quick. might be. Uh, do I have time? All right, let me try to do this one uh, very very quick. Um, In Michigan last week, we had talked about after the uh, stunning reported upset by Bernie Sanders, we had reported that uh, around the state there was big turnout and that they ran out of ballots uh, for a time and sent voters away for a couple of hours. They used paper ballots in Michigan, but they had sent them away for some reason rather than, you know, just... Xeroxing a paper ballot. Why? Because they don't like uh, counting by hand, maybe. I don't know, because if you Xerox it, it can't make it through the optical scanner. But they should never send anyone away when you run out of paper ballots. Hell, I remember a few years ago in uh, South Carolina, I think it was, when the, uh, the touchscreen systems there went down during a Republican presidential uh, uh, primary, and everybody was just started g- grabbing pieces of paper and writing down who they wanted. Yes, that counts. That counts when there are no ballots. You should never be turned away. They turned them away, however, out in uh, in Western Michigan, in Grand Rapids, which was uh, a, a stronghold for Bernie Sanders. It turns out now they also ran out of ballots uh, in places that were strongholds for Hillary Clinton. In uh, in Flint, Michigan, they had a big turnout. Um and now we learn down in Detroit, balloting problems came to light in Detroit last week um, in Wayne County. This is Wayne County Board of Canvassers uh, discovered that a handful of Detroit precincts registered zero votes during balloting memory cards for the three precincts in their optical scan machine. So no votes cast. And then while five absentee ballot precincts were uploaded on Wednesday, also as having zero votes. Now, an absentee ballot, what they do is in the county when they uh, get a bunch of absentee ballots, they group them into a single precinct. They scan them and then they upload them into the central tabulator. Well, guess what? The central tabulator showed zero votes in five different absentee precincts as well. So uh, now they're going to have to review those ballots by hand to find out what the actual numbers actually were and why this actually happened. Uh, The uh, Baxter, who is this guy? He's the, uh, I think he's the county registrar, director of elections in Detroit, uh, which would have been a stronghold for Hillary Clinton as well. Daniel Baxter said that this will have no effect on the outcome other than, you know, The fact that they may or may not have those numbers uh, and the fact that we may or may not know how many other precincts which did register some votes actually uh, showed votes but got the votes wrong, as we saw after Super Tuesday in Chelsea, Massachusetts, when Jim Gilmore, the former governor of Virginia, was declared the winner of the Republican primary. And at the time, we had no idea why that happened. All that they would tell us out of Chelsea was that there appears to have been a computer error. Well, now we have a little bit more information on that from a Bradblog listener. And by the way, as all of this is moving forward, if you need to contact me at any time, I am the Bradblog on Twitter. My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. Can't always reply, but I try to read everything you send in. Uh, Cambridge Knitter, a longtime uh, commenter at Bradblog was actually able to uh, buttonhole, see how I did that? Cambridge Knitter buttonholed the, uh, the city manager at, uh, at Chelsea, Massachusetts. Cambridge Knitter is actually from uh, Massachusetts, and she was able to uh, get the attention of Tom Ambrosino, the city manager, who was a speaker at an event there. Uh, she says, after a few words about the importance of election integrity to people's faith in the legitimacy of their government, I asked about the messed up election results in Chelsea, Massachusetts, in the city of Chelsea, because I couldn't get any results back. I tried to figure out why it was that it showed Jim Gilmore originally winning the election. According to uh, Tom Ambrosino, says Cambridge Knitter, uh, the vendor misprogrammed the software for the central tabulator. So that it put the results for a few precincts on the wrong line. They noticed that the results seemed wrong, so they got the precinct tapes. Those are the things that are printed up each night and that I beg you and plead you to go out and take photographs of at the end of uh, election night. When the polls close, go photograph those tapes. Um, And uh, so they checked the tapes and sure enough... The op scans counted it correctly, but when they took the memory cards from those op scans at the precincts and they put it into the central tabulator, that's when the numbers went sideways for reasons that they still don't understand. And they were able to confirm this because they took those memory cards and they went to a different city and ran the cards and the results came out just fine. Didn't show that Jim Gilmore was the winner, showed that, in fact, Donald Trump won. So uh, they are somewhat confident now that they have the results, at least as they were captured on the memory cards remember very few if any you know precincts uh, jurisdictions actually bother to hand count the paper ballots to make sure the memory cards got it right but it underscores that it was in fact the central tabulator that got it wrong and the central tabulator that can be changed as we have found in study after study by you know in 30 seconds by an election insider by a guy like the city manager of uh, chelsea If they wanted to. Now, the uh, city manager, says uh, Cambridge Knitter, went on to blame the age of the machines for the problems, even though it appears to be a software failure, not a hardware failure. He also doesn't seem phased by how hackable all of the machines are. She says she strongly encouraged him to make sure that whoever in his office is looking at the new machines researches the reliability and hackability problems, not just the literature from the vendors. He he feels hemmed in by the approved list of machines, the machines they're allowed to use, based on what the Secretary of the State, Secretary of the Commonwealth out there says, and uh, that he couldn't even imagine hand-counting ballots. Well, start imagining it, people, because, you know, we notice it when there's zero votes. We notice it when it's Jim Gilmore who has announced the winner of the Republican primary. How much is out there that we don't notice? because we don't bother to actually hand count our paper ballots in this country. Man, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Pay attention. Welcome back to the broadcast to a very busy day trying to catch up with a lot from last week, including, as I promised on our last uh, episode, Desi Doyen, that uh, we would talk about Marco Rubio's remarkable comments <laughs> about climate at the Republican debate on Thursday. We didn't get to him in, in our coverage uh, because we, as usual, ran short on time, so I don't want to run short on time this time. Let's play a, a bit of Rubio on climate, and then Desiree, I will turn it over <laughs> to you to rebut.
3: One of the reasons why the climate is changing is because the climate has always been changing. There has never been a time when the climate has not changed. I think the fundamental question for a policymaker is, is the climate changing because of something we are doing? And if so, is there a law you can pass to fix it? So on the issue of flooding in Miami, it's caused by two things. Number one, South Florida is largely built on land that was once a swamp. And number two, because if there is higher sea levels or whatever it may be happening, we do need to deal with that through mitigation. And I have long supported mitigation efforts. But as far as a law that we can pass in Washington to change the weather, there's no such thing.
1: (laughs) A law that we can pass to change the weather. Yeah, because that's yeah, what everybody is
2: talking about. Uh, this this just really made me angry because, obviously, he, he knows the truth. Uh, he, he actually talked with Chris Cuomo on CNN the very next day, mm-hmm. and Cuomo pressed him on that, you know, come on, scientists, there's a global scientific consensus about this. You have to acknowledge that. And, and Rubio said, yes, okay, fine. Yeah, humans have some kind of contribution. The question is how much of a contribution, and as a policymaker... That's what I have to deal with. Now, I just want to point out to Marco Rubio and all those people that, hey, if you can't identify the right problem, you can't identify the right solution. So if you don't identify that global warming is causing sea level rise, which is hitting Florida faster, you know, know, Marco Rubio's constituents in Florida, faster, more quickly, and it's accelerating than in any other part of the country, then you're not going to get the right solution for that. I mean, he was even wrong about... Florida, he called it being, he said, Oh, Florida is on a swamp. It was built on a swamp. That's part of the problem. It's like, no, actually, that's not the geology of Florida. Part of it is, yes, but the rest of Florida is porous limestone, which means there really isn't a whole lot you can do to prevent the sea from coming up from underneath because Florida is built on a sponge.
1: And we had the uh, the question was asked to Marco Rubio, by the way, in a GOP debate, a question about climate change. Go figure. The debate was held in Florida. He was asked about uh,
2: uh, he was asked by Florida about this
1: letter. Yeah, because he was asked by I think it was 16 Florida mayors who are begging and pleading Marco Rubio, their U.S. senator to stop with this climate change denial nonsense that Marco Rubio did not used to do. He did not used to be a, a, a climate denier. We had one of those mayors on this program to talk about that letter uh, just a few weeks ago.
2: Right. And, and, you know, so another debunkery just really fast. He says, well, China and India yeah. aren't going to be doing anything. So first he says humans don't contribute. But, hey, if they do, China and India are going to <laughs> right. get rid of anything that we do. So he's he's. Illogically identifying that yes, China and India can have an impact, but we can't.
1: He punched every single climate change denier uh, button and talking point in that response. Yes, uh, every right wing uh, climate is always changing. And he ignored All of that the nonsense. fact
2: that China and India are acting, especially China, which has uh, invests. Mm-hmm. I think four times what the United States is investing in renewables. Oh,
1: I, I think his actual words were: they, "They, China and India will never sign a deal." Well, they did sign a deal. They already did the Paris so. Agreement uh, lately last year. Right. Where were you, Marco Rubio? Man, pay attention. Uh, Anyway, I know you're just delighted it came up at all in a Republican debate, right? Indeed. All right. we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. And please tell everyone you know uh, where you found us uh, until we know oh, we got a lot to cover until we meet again you can find me on the Twitters uh, at the Brad blog also the Brad blog over at Facebook and you can email me I am bradcast at bradblog.com all right until next time I'm Brad Friedman good luck world Everybody.